Welcome everyone to this uh, first of what I hope will be many joint lectures between the British Institute at Ankara and the Council for British Research in the Levant. So tonight's lecture is uh, titled Feminist Art in the Middle East and Turkey. And I'm not going to introduce all of the speakers just yet, uh, but what I wanted to do is briefly outline how this lecture came about. So one of today's speakers, uh, Jeren Ospinar, came to Ankara last year and gave a talk at the British Institute. Uh, perhaps it was one of the last of our face-to-face -face events, which is rather sad to think about, but also these online lectures have opened open doors to, to collaboration such as, as tonight's event. Um, in the, since then, uh, a book has come out, uh, edited by Jaren Ospinar, um, which is called Under the Skin, Feminist Art and Art Histories from the Middle East and North Africa Today. And given the scope of this work, it, we thought it would make sense to work together with the Council for British Research in the Levant to produce an event. Um, the CBRL and the BIAA are together two of the eight institutes which are supported by the British Academy and located in the wider Mediterranean region. Um, tonight's chair will be Tufik Haddad, who is the director of the CBRL's Kenyan Institute in Jerusalem. Uh, and I'm going to pass to him now to uh, introduce himself and the tonight's lecturers. Okay, thanks very much. Well, greetings, folks. Uh, very nice to have everyone here and for a, a lovely opportunity for us to have a collaboration with the British Institute of uh, Ankara. Uh, it's the first attempt that we try to do that, and we hope we will be able to do many more. Um, today's webinar, the subject of today's webinar is feminist art in the Middle East and Turkey. So without further ado, allow me to introduce our three fabulous panelists. Uh, allow me to say first and foremost that we, we, we wanted to make sure that we got uh, art historians here who, to be able to speak specifically to this subject. Uh, and it wasn't just sufficient for us to take on curators or artists. Uh, so we have three diff different panelists today. One is Jiren Ospinar. Uh, uh, Dr. Ospinar is a senior lecturer at the University of Brighton, history of art and design program. She previously was a British Academy Newton International Fellow at the University of Sussex and a visiting research fellow at the University of Leeds. Uh, Dr. Ospinar holds a PhD in art history from Istanbul Technical University. And her research focuses on contemporary art, art historiography, art feminist art, and art histories since 1960 with a specialty, specialty in Turkey and the Middle East. She is, as was previously noted by Daniel, the, uh, the uh, the deputy director in British Institute of Ankara, that she is the co-editor of the recent book, Under the Skin, Feminist Art and Art Histories from the Middle East and North Africa Today, which came out from Oxford University Press uh, just last year. She will be followed by Dr. Charlotte Bank. Dr. Charlotte Bank is an art historian and curator with a PhD in Arabic from the University of Geneva. She held academic positions and fellowships at the University of Bamberg and Geneva and the Orient History, excuse me, Orient Institute of Beirut and the Museum of Islamic Art in Berlin. As a curator, she has worked with art institutions in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, last but not, not, not least, 
will be Dr. Tina Sherwell. Dr. Tina Sherwell is the head of the Contemporary Visual Art Program at the Faculty of Art, Music and Design at Beers 8 University here in Beers 8 in occupied Palestinian territories. She was the director of the International Academy of Art uh, and previously was program leader for fine art at Winchester School of Art. Uh, she was also at the executive director of the Visual Gallery at Beers 8 and has worked at, with the Tate Online on their digital archives. She also recently curated exhibitions at the Palestine Museum. So as you can see, we have a, uh, a uh, lineup of highly qualified uh, experts on this topic. I'm going to uh, take this opportunity now to uh, hand off to our first panelist, Dr. Dr. Ospinar, who will start us off. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, so if you can, Jiran, turn your camera on and your microphone and take us away. Thank you, first of all, um, to uh, British Institute at Ankara and Daniel MacArthur-Steele and um, the Council for British Research in, Le in the Levant, and especially Carol Palmer, uh, Taufik Haddad and uh, Max Slaughter for uh, the invitation and organising this, this panel. So I will speak uh, quite briefly um, and um, in this brief lecture, I will aim to give you a very general introduction to art informed by feminisms in Turkey, both as a set of ideas about art and as a history. To touch upon some of the wider problems this history implies around, first of all, how history of feminist art is thought to be a history of improvements uh, made in gender politics through the decades, and secondly, its ideological implications, including politics, for example, politics of exclusion. Throughout the lecture, you will notice that I sometimes will refer to art informed by feminism, and what I mean by that is the practices associated with feminist politics. And many, many artists from Turkey can be put under this banner of feminist art or art informed by feminisms, but I will only focus on just a few that um, prominently feature in those histories, but also because I don't have uh, much time. Okay, so when you um, look at these, um, look at the grand narratives of feminist art, or art informed from feminism um, by feminism from Turkey. Uh, this history usually starts uh, from the late Ottoman period, late 19th century, and uh, follows a chronology, a linear chronological narrative. And these narratives are usually co called progress narratives, and they write this history um, in, in the art historiography of Turkey in this way, um, this is a very commonplace uh, narration of the history of feminist art in Turkey nowadays. So in this kind of history, you have uh, paintings by earlier, by earlier feminists, sorry, by earlier portraitists, portrait artists, uh, whose practices were predominantly restricted to indoors, uh, but as um, such as Mihri Mishvik, you can see here, they did daring compositions, daring portraits of themselves or others. And then you have artists like Melek Jelai Sofu, 
here in the middle, who portrait, uh, who portrayed women, who did images of women, who participated a little bit more in different areas of social and cultural life. Then in this history, you see um, artists like Alia Baga a little bit uh, forward um, when we go forward in, in, in time and in history. And um, Baga was an engraver and a painter, and she won the first prize in a very important painting composition in 1954 with this painting called Sunrise in Istanbul. And this painting was made in a very uh, explicitly abstract manner. And Berga was an outsider artist, didn't get, didn't get any uh, formal fine art education. And she didn't really conform to the standards of the highly masculinized genre of figurative, uh, perhaps cubic constructivist uh, styles of the Turkish art world at the time. So her winning this prize caused fierce controversy. So you have this artist uh, in, the, in the grand narratives of feminist art history as well. Moving forward uh, in these histories, um, we see a general tendency to assess art produced in Turkey by a view that positions the West as standard. And I have a trouble with this. So these histories usually create a rhetoric of inadequacy uh, in the grand, these grand narratives. Um, and they not only see and reshape cultural production through the eyes of an imaginary West, but also reinscribe a fixed national identity to Turkish art, and in this specific case, to Turkish um, feminist art. So the works that covered uh, in the period from 1960s onwards, uh, usually you see in these narratives, they strive to demonstrate the ways in which artists conveyed a subjective uh, experience of the world, and their place in it. And uh, they usually respond to women's issues, uh, placing the individual artist at the center of aesthetic sensation and meaning. And you usually have Nil Yaltar here, and uh, an artist who was born in Istanbul in 1936, settled in Paris in 65. And artistries usually coin her as the first female artist from Turkey who worked with the new media because uh, right quickly after producing this work that you can see on this slide, she started working with uh, video. And um, this work here, uh, this one uh, is really discussed in so many histories and uh, called The Roundhouse. And Yaltar modeled, modeled this house after the dwelling houses, dwellings of uh, the nomadic, nomadic communities of uh, central Anatolia. And when we look at these narratives, we see that most of them tend to interpret this work as a critical commentary on the patriarchal oppression of women in general. But I believe this approach fails to appreciate how the roundhouse actually tries to unsettle mainstream characterizations of the nomadic woman as a marker of a monolithic category of powerless, tribic, maybe native women. 
And I think this work involves actually an alternative view on the experiences of the nomadic subjects so making an intervention into, into mainstream, um, perhaps white feminisms of the time. And then in these usual histories, you also have around this time, uh, a little bit later in the, in the 80s, um, Gülsün Karamustafa and the audiences, some of the audiences um, from Turkey may remember my lecture uh, from 2019 on her work, this specific work, SHIELD. And in narratives, Kara Mustafa has been championed as one of the leading Turkish conceptual artists. And uh, her role as a woman artist in the, in the emergence of contemporary art has been acknowledged in Turkey. And she has been uh, labeled as one of the mothers of contemporary art in Turkey. And quite often in narratives, you see that uh, narratives speak of uh, Karam Stoffer's work as um, about her examinations of rural to urban migration or and later immigration. And narratives say that she has developed a colorful world uh, that reflects and query uh, queries the effects of um, of the popular of popular culture of the time. And in this work, Shield from 86, um, Karam Stoffer recently revealed uh, that uh, the wedding dress at the middle of this uh, shield, uh, the work, uh, belonged to her. And uh, we can see that actually she develops, and in, uh, this work is developed at the intersection of her coming to political consciousness in the 60s. Um, the experience of becoming a mother later in the 70s when she started to think about this work and the changing dynamics of her relationship with her mother throughout the 80s. So quite an uh, intersectional, uh, quite a versatile uh, work of art that touches upon uh, many different aspects of Karam Stoffer's life. And then, as you can see, I'm moving chronologically referring to those narratives. And when you come to the 90s, you usually see um, a work by Shukran uh, Moral. And, and in, in, the, in these narratives about this period, the 90s, we, uh, you see that artists usually confront their emotional experience of uh, confront with their emotional experience of the world. And uh, they sometimes represent this world as a cold, hostile, alienating place. Or sometimes uh, they uh, offer visions of an alternative, uh, sometimes alternative world or resistance to that world. And we can see artists engaging with feminist debates such as sexual violence or a sex work or sexual discrimination. And Morales uh, performance called Bordello uh, from 1970, 1990s, um, which happened in a brothel in Istanbul and where she held a sign that said for sale uh, across her chest and another one that said contemporary art museum. So she was clearly trying to mitigate, mitigate these uh, transformations around her happening in the art world and where artists and artworks were uh, more and more being forced to become commodities. 
and also these double standards uh, in the art world, but in society in general at the time, um, because also this work caused a lot of a lot of stir, quite a stir, and not because the artist uh, uh, um, because of the nudity of the work, but as Mora revealed later in her um, in her interviews that the fact that uh, a, a woman artist, a artist, or a person of her standing or class, produced a work such as this and posed as, as a sex worker. Uh, so this was quite unacceptable. Being conscious of my time, moving to my last two slides. And when you come to the 21st century and we have a range of artists who works with and within uh, feminist politics in art. And I could only have uh, two of them here, unfortunately. And what, what we can see in those uh, narratives that um, a depiction of uh, thoughts around gender variant and sexuality diverse individuals. And uh, you may see Gunesh Tarkal's work, for example, her textile panels. Uh, offering uh, a view of ambivalent characters sometimes who seem to be undergoing process of transformation and use of um, handcraft techniques, sometimes needlework and, um, and use of textile found materials or recycled materials sometimes. And Tarkal is one of those artists who uh, show, try to show women who are trying to conform to what's happening, adapt to what's happening around them, these social transformation that affect them personally. So it is kind of like a response to the world around the artist and an emphasis uh, to express her feelings uh, around about the hypocrisies of contemporary uh, Turkey and sometimes um, illustrating violence and discrimination against women. And so in these narratives, this visual arrangement kind of persistently is premised on a concern that demonstrates how progressive and innovative women's art or feminist art has been in Turkey compared to that in North America or in Europe. And thereby these narratives create um, a binary opposition between the narratives of the East and the narratives of the West and kind of failing to discuss the temporal and spatial differences of this story. So in those stories, you usually wouldn't see an artist like Zehra Doan, whose work you can see here. Doan was sentenced uh, to three years in prison due to her portrayal of the Turkish army destroying her hometown. Um, Doan is a, is a Kurdish artists and artists from diverse backgrounds are not usually acknowledged in these artistries, at least not yet. And um, Doan also uh, uh, an artist who uh, works with um, everyday materials, uh, found materials, and she worked with uh, whatever she could find in prison and um, uh, with handmade dyes and newspapers and bedsheets or clothes, as you can see here. Uh, uh, illustrating the conflict and resistance visible uh, within the public sphere and indicating imagined alternative uh, futures. 
And I would like to acknowledge uh, Doan for allowing us to use her work on the poster of this event. And I will stop here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Erin, for that uh, very interesting, uh, uh, albeit uh, too short summary of uh, feminist artworks in uh, Turkey. Uh, because of the time constraints, I'm going to move directly and fast to Dr. Charlotte Banks. So please take it away, Charlotte. Okay, so um, I will um, discuss uh, the works uh, by uh, basically one artist from Syria, Nisreen Bukhari, and uh, I'll discuss uh, how her works uh, can be, see can be seen uh, in the context of um, feminist approach. And um, also how um, her work is informed by uh, a notion of art as a critical practice. Now, Nisreen Bukhari was part of a generation of young artists that began working during the 2000s and experimented with new artistic media and forms of expression. And when I say new, that, that means media that, was, that were new to the art scene in Syria. These young artists were pursuing several goals. They wanted to distance themselves uh, from what they perceived as outdated aesthetics. Uh, that means as uh, practiced by the art school teachers or as uh, exhibited at official, that is state-sponsored artistic events and also at the private galleries. They were also searching for new ways to interact with society and advocate social and possibly political change in the country. Among the issues they were interested in was also gender norms, which they perceived as rigid. And um, this is especially uh, the case for a number of women artists, women's lived everyday experiences. Now, such interests are often described as related to regulations implemented by foreign funders but I would like to argue that this is a little bit too restrictive as a view because it leaves out the agency of the artists themselves. And especially in the case of Syria during the 2000s when I did my, my research, it is also somewhat irrelevant uh, since for foreign funding was minimal at that time and often even entirely absent. So many artists actually did produce their work without any funding and with the help of friends. Young artists, both women and men, were interested in a wide range of subjects in their quest for social change and women's issues were one of these subjects. For this young generation, video soon became the preferred video, um, but some artists also experimented with installation and performance art. Before I go on to discuss individual artworks, I would like to point out that uh, gender as a constructed concept was not theorized in Syria at the time. People were defined according to the gender they were assigned by birth, and artists did not uh, question this practice. A more critical engagement with concepts such as the performativity of gender and queerness has begun recently, but mainly among displaced artists who find themselves in new locations where such issues are discussed more openly than in Syria. Most artists didn't refer to feminist and gender theory either, but when I addressed the issue in discussions with them, chose to talk uh, about it using other ways of framing it. 
So even if artists did not describe their stance as declaredly feminist, many did express a concern with the living conditions of women and the social restrictions placed on them. The reluctance to frame their work as explicitly feminist can maybe also be seen in the light of the notion of feminism as a Western import, as it is occasionally criticized in different locations in the um, region. So I would now like to turn to uh, the attention to some examples of such work. Uh, as I said, I will focus on one artist, Nisreen Bukhari, who was active as a video and installation artist, but also as a curator and initiated an art space all out now together with her sister Abir in the mid 2000s. Bukhari presented a series of installations on several occasions in which she explored different aspects of women's lived experiences and reactions to the expectations of their surroundings. One of these, Peu Rouge, was presented at an exhibition during the festivities of Damascus Cultural Capital of the Arab World, which took place in 2008. It was one of the rare occasions that the work of contemporary artists, other than painting, was shown at an official event. Usually such work was uh, shown at, um, sorry, at smaller privately owned events or at the foreign cultural institutes. The work was a room filling installation consisting of an entirely red room. Visitors entered the space through a door that was half covered with red curtains. The walls, ceilings and floor were painted red and illuminated by red light and suffused with scent. 99 glasses of red wine were placed along the walls and sharp blades uh, were hung on red strings from the ceiling. It's a bit difficult to see the blades in the photograph. In order to make the work accessible to the audience, among whom many might not have been familiar with contemporary visual languages, an explanatory poem was written on the floor in which the artist conveyed the intention of reflecting on the ambiguous promises of women's lives and the expectations placed on them. The space was at once inviting, was soft with a soft, comfortable light, the scent, the wine glasses, and three, the blades hanging from the ceiling, only half visible. Continuing the idea of using the symbolics of color, Bukhari presented B a year later in 2009. This time she created an entirely light room. The work was shown at an exhibition at All Art Now the art space of the two Bukhari sisters I mentioned before. Here, the floor was covered in soft mattresses. The walls were hung with white curtains, like white feather boas were hanging from the ceiling. The space might have been welcoming and cocoon-like, but the glaring cold white lighting disturbed this impression, and so did three large bowls that were placed in the corners of the room each of them containing an undefined white powder, according to the artist, was sugar, salt, and poison. Nisreen Bukhari wanted to cre create a space that appeared inviting and playful at first sight, but held a hidden element of insecurity and danger as symbolized in the bowls with their supposed content, 
sweet, pleasant, unpleasant, or even deadly. For the artist, these were symbols of the choices women were forced to make in life, not always knowing what the outcome would be. So the two spaces, the red one of Peu Rouge, the white and the white one of B, are equally ambiguous, at once inviting, but also filled with unseen dangers. Each of them possess an alien element that turns them from spaces of familiarity into dangerous terrain. For Nisreen Bukhari, this ambiguity was characteristic of women's lived experiences. Her work often included an autobiographical angle and she refused, to, she refused simple explanations and statements. Now, the last work I will mention here is a video entitled The Veil, a highly contested feature of Middle Eastern women's experience and one that has a long history in Western discourse and is also deeply rooted in colonial history. But in Bukhari's work is not so easy to read. The video shows a piece of red fabric behind which a body can be traced. Hands push against the fabric, play with it and struggle with it. We cannot easily tell and the video plays with this ambiguity. A piece of textile can be used to dress and beautify, it can be used to conceal and protect, and it can be used as an instrument of violence to keep somebody hidden from their surroundings. In this work, Nisreen Bukhari explores all of, them, of these meanings. The video complicates the easy regard, reading of the veil as a tool to oppress women, which is a common orientalist trope and has often served to stress the backwardness of the colonial or other. In its orientalist reading, the veil as a sign of women's oppression has been taken out of its historical, geographical and cultural specific context and been central to the notion of colonial, of the colonial civilizational mission from the 19th century up till now, and especially in more recent times, also to justify discriminatory laws and regulations aimed at Muslim migrant communities in Western societies. But the veil in Bukhari's video doesn't stop here. The woman behind the piece of, the woman behind the piece of textile is not passive. She sometimes seems to play with the fabric. At other times, she struggles with it in an attempt maybe to break free. In fact, she seems to explore it, its boundaries and its possibilities. She doesn't seem to be in the need of being saved as would be liberators from colonial administrators to certain Western feminists have said on so many occasions. The veil here might be seen as a metaphor for the living conditions of women in the Middle East, but not, not just here, how they try to navigate a complicated terrain, the obstacles they face in their everyday lives, and the conventions that stand in their way to living self-determined, fulfilled ex existences. We can read Nisreen Bukhari's veil as a double critique, uh, that refuses to be instrumentalized by neo-colonialist discourses of the veil as a sign of Muslim backwardness, but it also criticizes the muting of women's voices and agency in, in patriarchal societies. She has chosen, especially through the title of the work, to use an object that is quite loaded, 
but instead of offering simplistic criticism, she has chosen to deal with it in a way that opens up several layers of meaning. Middle Eastern feminist critique of women's oppression has historically not only happened from, uh, from the secular point of view, but also from Islamic modernist discourse and more recently from what is mostly termed Islamic feminism, whereby it should be noted that this term is not adopted by all who engage in the practice. This line of thought has highlighted the potential of Islam for gender equality and social justice by employing the, Islam, the Islamic principle of ishtihad. So by presenting the veil as an ambiguous metaphor and hinting at its multi-layered meanings and its local context, Nisreen Bukhari can be seen as moving in a similar direction. She offers a deconstruction of the stereotype of the passive veiled woman. Uh, she affirms her identity as a woman of Middle Eastern Muslim origin and asserts her own agency as an artist of that background. So I would like just to stop here and conclude uh, by noting that Nis Nisreen Bukhari is one example of how young women artists in Syria during the 2000s voice critique and commented on social current issues of Syrian society, among which were questions of gender and women's lived experiences. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. And now on to our final speaker tonight, that's uh, Dr. Tina Sherwell, who will be speaking about women's art in Palestine. Take it away, Tina. Um, I'm going to be um, speaking about the representation um, of women uh, in Palestinian art and, um, and art practices. I'm particularly coming at this question of uh, feminist art um, uh, from the um, particular angle of my research um, focus, which is on the representation uh, of, of landscape in, in, in Palestinian art. So, um, I'm going to be uh, showing a number uh, 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 of different works um, to explore this uh, point. So, um, landscape came to dominate Palestinian art in the mid-1970s and 80s, particularly by artists living in the occupied territories. Um, the work was accompanied by calls to resistance through popular posters in which there was a plethora of folkloric symbols. Um, with this, we can see that the focus um, on images of Palestinian villages coincided with a revival of Palestinian heritage and folklore that began in the late 1970s. As more explicit forms of national expression were censored by the Israeli authorities, the village with its pastoral image served as a suitable metaphor for the nation. The representations were not of specific villages, but rather combined elements that together constituted an idyllic utopia. These included a landscape in full spring bloom, stone houses, and women wearing traditional Palestinian costume. 
surrounded by children or engaged in domestic activities such as baking bread, grinding wheat, harvesting crops, fruits and olives. As we can see here, here's one of the works by Sliman Mansour uh, called Yafa and we can see um, a young woman in traditional Palestinian dress um, uh, gathering uh, oranges. Um, while on the other side of the screen we can see um, a Palestinian woman also in traditional dress nurturing an image of Jerusalem um, in her in her arms uh, like a child. Um, these were very uh, popular uh, images that were also um, reproduced um, on, on posters um, and circulated um, uh, um, among Palestinians. Here we also see the work of um, Nabil Anani. Um, and here again, we have a mother and child. Um, we have the images of an idyllic um, village life. Um, and often with the representation of the villages, um, you would see that they're um, all examples of uh, modernity and the changes that were taking place um, are, are erased. Um, um, you know, life was changing. Uh, in the villages as Palestinians became uh, workers inside Israel. Um, the uh, roads were being opened up for, for settlements. Um, there were a lot of transformations. But the images created by the artists were um, utopic. Um, and um, the, um, the, the woman featured as a, as a central figure um, in these works. Um, these um, idyllic representations serve to elide the realities of the present and in so doing cast an image of the future in a nostalgic utopian lens of the past. What is, it, what is represented is not a specific village but rather one with all the ideal characteristics of the homeland. The focus on the Palestinian village and peasantry contours the representation of the landscape as a distinctly domestic one. Rarely does one find large vistas in the paintings, particularly between the 1970s and 1990s. Instead, landscapes center on the village, the fields, and the homes are populated with women and children. Peasant women constitute a central subject of such paintings and are depicted gathering or bearing olives, wheats, and fruits, um, as, as I mentioned. Um, the monumental female figure um, as, as we see in these works these um, the, the female figure is always monumental in proportion um, and she's often gazing um, uh, out um, into the landscape um, uh, looking um, melan melancholic here are some also some examples of the posters um, that I was uh, mentioning again the women is always in traditional um, Palestinian dress um, um, and is uh, and is in in, in a bearing uh, position holding um, here the, the, the workers um, and then holding here um, a whole um, a flight, of, a flight of doves. Um, um, what we see happening is the presence, um, the presence of the female figure in the landscape in traditional costumes become the foremost significant of Palestinian national identity. This motive gendered the homeland in the form of the female figure. Thus the body of the woman and the land become interchangeable. And we see this not just in the visual arts, we also see this in representations in literature, um, in poetry, in theater, um, and, um, and in dance. Um, um, I mean, this 
suggests that the, the, um, the qualities of the homeland are very much a space of nurturing, of bodily comfort, and of security. Um, we find this echoed in um, the poetry, for example, of Fadwa Tukan and of Mahmoud Darwish. Now, taking in a very um, uh, different direction um, are um, different uh, uh, female practitioners, um, Palestinian uh, female practitioners, and they um, explore um, the landscape not through recreating these um, um, images of the of the motherland. Um, and the, the monumental stoic um, uh, image, um, which is very much um, one in which um, um, you feel that there isn't a representation of, let's say, real women, but um, a monumentalized um, uh, image of, uh, of women. Um, whereas, for example, uh, Jumana Aboud, um, through her whole series of her um, drawings and her and her video works um, has a very different engagement um, in in in, in uh, with the landscape. Um, these are a selection of some of her uh, her drawings, um, and this is uh, a still from her um, uh, her uh, video installation, her three channel video installation, uh, which was uh, shown at the uh, Palestinian Museum as part of the uh, exhibition intimate terrains. Um, uh, Jumana Aboud uh, speaks of longing and belonging and of, and of a profound continual wandering and searching in the landscape, particularly in this um, video work. Um, the, the theme of rediscovering a relationship to the landscape resonates in her works and her drawings, and she's deeply inspired by Palestinian folktales, um, the female figures in these folktales, the, the ghouls, the creatures, and the um, um, part human, part animal um, that we find in these tales. Um, she also sees them as a continuous part of the landscape and not discontinuous. And she, her work is very much about a rediscovery um, about that. Um, and a rediscovery of inti intimacy and wonderment with the landscape rather than articulating her relationship to landscape through national symbolic, uh, you know, national uh, symbolism. Um, she speaks um, of her work. She says um, that, um, I had lost my connection, the relationship between the earth and myself, its elements, its people, its language, its history and future had become somewhat contaminated for the many reasons we Palestinians all have in common. Aboud's work invites us to wander in the forests and the tall grasses as the light dances through the leaves of the trees and the smell of a spring fills the air. The work sets itself distinctly apart from the historical representations of the motherland and its particular visual vocabulary epitomized through the stoic and monumental motherland. Rather, Aboud speaks of the loss of the land, our sadness and separation through an intimate engagement with the landscape and nature and through claiming back the land through listening and tracing folktales and traditions. Maskoun, the inhabited, reconnects us to the landscape in moments of stillness and contemplation, which from the outset acknowledges our perpetual loss and severance from the landscape. 
a work here by the artist Manal Mahamid. Um, it combines um, sculptural works um, and um, etchings. The work was inspired by a trip um, that um, Manal Mahamid uh, took to, um, to the Israeli zoo. Um, she had always seen an image of the Ghazal in her home um, over the fireplace. Uh, um, and uh, she was very surprised when she went to the zoo and found that it was um, not called the Palestinian Ghazal, but was rather labeled um, the Israeli Ghazal. Um, and she was also surprised to notice after looking carefully um, that the Ghazal um, only had three legs. When asked about this, um, she found that there were numerous Ghazals in the same condition, and it had been explained that they had all been ill and the vet had recommended had recommended the amputation um, uh, of, the, uh, of the legs of the gazelle, um, while the gazelle today is actually under threat of extinction. The, the gazelle therefore appears as a mutation, incomplete, domesticated, tamed, and now an uncomfortable oddity in the zoo, contained in a fabricated enclosure of a spectacle of species from the natural landscape. The gazelle seems to resonate as a metaphor for the new symbol of the daily lived conditions and paradoxes of Palestinians in Israel. I'd like to also um, speak about the work of Larissa Sansour. Uh, this is a still from her work, Nation Estate. Um, Nation Estate um, envisages uh, Palestine uh, as, a, as a high rise building. Um, and in it, um, each floor is uh, dedicated to one of the cities um, in, in Palestine. Um, Larissa Sansour works in the, in the realm of science fiction um, and has a trilogy uh, uh, of films. Um, in this particular film, we see her engaging with a lot of the symbolism um, that I, I previously uh, mentioned um, uh, in uh, Palestinian art. Um, and we can, in the film, we can barely recognize the people we encounter. Um, they're all in a, a particular uniform and somber clothing. Um, Palestine is now a high rise tower with each city as a floor. Travel is by elevator or underground in which we no longer have access to the land or to its central experience, its moisture, its smell and breezes. We are confined in an artificial capsule where Jerusalem has become a representation or a horizon and recreated as a theme park. Sansour's work can be seen in the context of the continual land confiscation, destruction and demolitions. Um, and in, so, and in so doing provides a stark vision of what may be in the near future, what is materializing in the urban landscape. These are some just stills from her, from her work. So we see um, Larissa Sansour also addressing here the question of motherhood um, uh, in this particular image um, or still from the uh, film. And we can see also um, her, her gaze and the way she looks at the uh, audience, uh, which is in stark contrast to the uh, representations that we saw earlier of, uh, of uh, 
uh, by Suleiman Mansour and Nabil Anani uh, of, of women um, in nurturing positions of where their gaze is um, outside of the uh, frame and they're always very melancholic or looking into the distance. Um, if I have enough time, I'd like to show you a small clip from this uh, um, incredible film uh, uh, by uh, Larissa Sansor, which uh, resonates. So. Bethlehem. 
Okay, thank you very much. That was just a small clip from uh, from this uh, film, uh, a Nation Estate by uh, Larissa Sonsor. Thank you very much. Well, fantastic, Tina. Thank you so much for uh, your presentation as well as for all the other panelists. Um, I'm glad that I gave you the opportunity to show that because I'm sure our audience are more interested in uh, sort of having the opportunity to see uh, as much as they can from uh, the artist's work. I realize having watched all the presentations today that our topic today was rather ambitious or at least ambitiously titled. Uh, we, it probably more accurately could have been called uh, feminist art in, in, in Syria, Turkey and Palestine. And uh, also I realize it's not just a question of uh, feminist art per se, but also the question of art by women and representations by women. And perhaps that's a good way to start my uh, start this discussion actually. So perhaps reflecting on my comment there at the end, uh, uh, the difference or the, uh, between the question of feminist art versus art by women, uh, to what extent, um, how, how, what makes art from these artists feminists or uh, to what extent is all women's art in the Middle East uh, considered feminist in the opinions of, of the panelists themselves? Excuse me, there's a call to prayer going on in the background, it's quite distracting. But uh, I'll open that first question. To what extent can, can our panelists speak to the tensions or non-tensions between women by artists as well as feminist and to distinguish it from feminist art, uh, whether that be self-conscious or a projection applied to that or, or uh, by, by those who are studying it from the outside. Uh, perhaps Joran would like to reflect on that first. Sure, thank you, Tauri, for that first great question. And uh, I think I would like to start by saying that uh, this question is not really specific to the Middle East. And, you know, we, we debate this question of feminist art versus uh, women's art. It has been debated in academia and in the art world for decades and decades now. And, and it is still an important question, uh, but it is a very difficult one to answer, and as I said in my in my brief lecture, feminist art is usually used as a shorthand for uh, art informed, informed or impacted by feminisms, and uh, we usually mean you know uh, artists who use feminist politics in their works when we use that. And in that sense, it's it's it may seem to be a more inclusive uh, term, feminist art or art informed by feminism compared to uh, women's art or women artists. And uh, lots of scholars have taken issue with that term as well. And uh, because when we compare the two, so, um, you know, feminist art may be made mainly uh, by women artists. 
but um, when we say feminist art, we don't um, mean only, we don't only think about the maker, but we think about the processes and the techniques um, within which that artwork is made. So maybe considered a more inclusive uh, term. Charlotte, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think it's a little bit difficult to answer uh, in any simple way, because I think it's, uh, we have to look at the, the specific context an artist is working in and um, what, what, uh, what theories, uh, what discourses are happening on the local ground within which an artist is moving. And that's why I sometimes find it difficult um, I like I like the idea of, of seeing art informed by feminist um, theory as a as an inclusive term, but then what do you how do you do how do you deal with artists who actually reject uh, the the label feminist in in any way how do you, how do you deal with that and that has to do that often has to do with so many other issues uh, like I mentioned very briefly that feminists feminism is often um, uh, seen as an as a as an as a term that's imported uh, from the west and a little bit the same idea if you speak about queerness um, and so artists are often at a uh, trying to navigate this very difficult terrain while trying to speak about issues they're concerned with um, and so I think it's it's at the moment it's really difficult to find any easy easy way of of, uh, of framing this question. Uh, Tina, thank you. Yes, I would very much like to agree with the, the points Charlotte and Serene have have, have said uh, in in relation to this, and I think possibly. Um, the, the you know having to, to look at the specific period in which uh, um, artists are working, um, their location, um, the the discourses they're in they're engaged in, uh, all need to, to factor in, and and also whether they particularly want to, to label their work in in this way. Um, um, I think, for example, the examples that I was showing that um, uh, these women practitioners very much want to challenge the dominant imagery um, that has been created by, by male artists in particular. Um, um, you know, but they're doing this in, in, in very different ways um, uh, uh, of engagement uh, with this. So um, uh, I think it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to generalize uh, about, about this. <laughs> Great. Thank you. So all three of you raised the issue of context as well as time and place a place being context as well. <laughs> uh, I'd like to ask you specifically to speak to uh, how the context in your specific case studies has worked to inform the construction of feminist art as you define it. Uh, so Jiren in the Turkish example. Obviously cultural specificity, specificity and the cultural context is very important to the production of artworks. So in that sense, when we look at art informed by feminism um, or um, women's art as well, uh, we can see these um, explicit collection connections uh, between what's happening um, in the in the local specific context uh, around the artists and their responses to it in, in 
different decades. And I think I have uh, given some examples of that. Did, did I get the question right? Is this what you wanted? What I was looking to, yeah, you did, but uh, basically because context is so important, to, uh, as was mentioned, uh, what is specific to the context, the Turkish context in this case, uh, that you feel feminist art is speaking to all the time, or, or, uh, or emerging art is speaking to? Yeah, that, that's interesting and a very good question. Obviously, you know, uh, that specificity is connected to time and uh, and specific artwork. So when we talk about specific artists, we could see different uh, issues have been taken up by them, uh, which could be to do sexual, uh, to do with sexual discrimination um, or uh, sexual violence, uh, femicide in some cases in Turkey, um, and issue of veiling or, uh, or uh, yeah, so, so many, so many of them. Uh, Charlotte? Yes, um, I mean, I would like to say that in Syria, among uh, the young generation of artists that began to work uh, during the 2000, um, women's issue and some mild idea of, of, uh, of thinking about feminism and how, how artists could, could express uh, feminist ideas was very much linked to, the, to, to this movement, if you like, of young artists trying to find new ways of interacting with society and not staying uh, remote from, from social concerns. It's, it's not a new idea in the, in the Syrian context. Artists have been very much implemented in their, in their local context. But these young artists were trying to develop new ways of, of uh, addressing uh, social and even political issues and, and uh, feminist or feminist issues, uh, women's issues were one part of this attempt to address current issues that uh, the artists felt were important um, to, to deal with in art. Um, it was it was not the only one, but it was quite an important one, and it was um, both women and men who, who were concerned with these issues in their work. Great, uh, Tina, your thoughts. I think uh, you know one of the dominant issues um, that that continues. Uh, um, uh, in uh, Palestinian art practices is, uh, is the question of identity and the question of occupation. Um, and that continues to be a context that is uh, addressed uh, through, uh, through their work. Um, but what we've, what we've seen are, are, are major changes um, uh, in those articulations from the 1970s um, to the present day. Um, the way in which um, women are particularly interrogating um, imagery and symbolism um, and the types of works they're creating in relation to questions of identity, questions of um, the ongoing occupation, um, the, the symbolism um, and so forth. So we've, we've uh, had you know, major changes in this, particularly by, uh, by women practitioners. 
um, um, uh, addressing these uh, the, these issues. But it continues to be um, there, as 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 you saw, um, but often addressed through um, uh, personal experiences, through through memories, um, and particularly with uh, Larissa Samsur's work through um, you know through science fiction and projecting into the future. Okay. Uh, I had one final quick question that I thought I'd ask the panelists. Uh, all three contexts have uh, large diasporas, and I was wondering to, if uh, the panelists could speak to the role of exile in uh, the production of uh, the art of, of your case studies. Go ahead, Jen. Um, yeah, the, the question of diaspora is a really interesting one, and we have seen so many um, artists, women artists, moving out of uh, Turkey, uh, moving to other countries to live and work, and uh, and sometimes they have a they have a kind of double life in in both uh, places, and this obviously affects their work. And for example, uh, Nelly Alter has lived in, in France since uh, since the 60s and this has uh, has created a sort of an, um, a, a combination of different views and perspectives uh, from uh, her life and experiences in Turkey and uh, her experiences in France uh, since that time. But also when we look at the work of Kurdish artists, for example, and I'm doing, I'm starting a new research on the Kurdish diasporic experiences and how uh, women artists, especially um, in diaspora, Kurdish women artists in diaspora, are responding to to challenges uh, all, um, of um, uh, around Kurdish cause in Turkey, for example, and uh, how they depict resistance, for example, in their works, and and this includes uh, the use of new uh, materials, sometimes everyday materials, and, and sometimes new techniques are involved in the depiction of these. Uh, experiences and stories. Charlotte? Yes, well, in the in the case of Syria, the diaspora is uh, quite, let me put it this way, there has always been a, a Syrian diaspora, of course, but it has become much more important in, in recent years. Um, after 2011 and, and uh, the beginning of the uprising and the violence that followed. Um, when it comes to, to how uh, the diasporic uh, and the exile uh, experience informs art, I think maybe it's a little bit early to really say that because um, those artists who lived in the, in the diaspora before have more or less continued their work uh, while often also expressing horror at what they were witnessing in their, in their home country. Um, those artists who have had to leave, and, and uh, massive numbers of, of Syrian artists have had to leave, uh, especially after 2013, maybe the, the big uh, movements out of the country began, had for a very long time were very much concerned with uh, the ongoing violence, the destruction, uh, the people going missing, uh, destructions of, of uh, cities and, and uh, towns. And um, 
also the question of when when do you decide to leave was very was very important but it was very much of a let me very much in in the sense of an emergency production people would artists were looking at what is happening now and how do we deal with it what do we do with it um there wasn't in some way any time really to reflect more on the situation um it's beginning now um there was also another thing and it touches a little bit on, on the funding question also that that all of a sudden uh, Syrian artists became very prominent, they became very visible, they weren't visible before, but they became very visible internationally. And so all of a sudden, they, they were, they found opportunities to work and to produce work. And this led to this creation of, of uh, war and, and uh, exile informed uh, art which I think we need some years to reflect on what that actually, how to, to look at that. Thank you, Charlotte. Uh, your thoughts, Tina, on this? Um, well, the, the question of exile and diaspora um, is very much uh, at, at the root of uh, Palestinian art because Palestinian art practices um, uh, starts from a, a moment of, uh, of dispersion and Palestinian artists are located um, all over the world um, and uh, their practices begin in, in, in many different uh, places. So, um, it, you know, it isn't a case that all Palestinians are, are situated in, in Palestine. Um, so from the very outset, it's, uh, it's different locations of, uh, of articulation and they have been influenced by, uh, those, con by those contexts. Um, but um, I, I think just, you know, continuing on from Charlotte's point, um, this, uh, the, the interest in Palestinian artists, for example, um, those living in the occupied uh, territories, um, but, you know, very much um, uh, boomed um, after, uh, you know, after 2000 and, and 2005, we began to see um, Ramallah and Jerusalem, for example, being on a curatorial trail of, of international curators coming to the region. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> some artists quite simply said that there was a, a, a you know, a, a form even to, to exhibitions where they wanted to discover an artist um, uh, living, uh, living here and then they would combine that with an artist who was living in exile um, and, and would have those kind of balances in, 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 in ex uh, formulaic balances in exhibitions to be more cynical but that, but that definitely there was a there was a there was a period of uh, of time when we were very much on the um, curatorial uh, uh, trail uh, with a lot of focus. Yeah. Thank you, Tina. So I'm going to move to the question and answers. We have a few right now. The first one that I'll pose comes from Birgit Pupu, who asked the question: Can the presenters think of links and connections between protest art and feminist art in the Middle East and Turkey? Are there overlaps and what happens to the representation of women? Uh, does anyone want to particularly take that on? Perhaps Shiren start? Uh, thanks. 
Birgit, for that uh, question. That's an interesting one. And I would say there are overlaps, definitely. And it's very hard to distinguish in some cases feminist art from protest art uh, because of the, these, these particular qualities of, of some of the works, especially the ones that uh, work around questions of conflict, war, trauma, resistance, uh, in the case of Kurdish artists, for example, uh, but also about questions around uh, sexuality and gender. Um, and not only recently, but also uh, uh, from the 90s onwards, for example, as well uh, in Turkey. And those, those kind of works also provide, um, offer um, um, what we can call uh, protest views or uh, resisting um, binary oppositions or uh, established views around gender and sexuality. Charlotte? Yes, well, I would say that um, in the in the past decade, um, the art, the protest art that came out of uh, Syria or were produced by Syrian artists, um, there were sometimes overlaps, um, especially um, in those art, in 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 those uh, works that dealt with, um, the, with destruction and the necessity to leave uh, the country, where women were often um, also targeted on the, uh, on the refugee trail. And um, so some artists began to collect these stories and, and turn them into to works. Uh, so in that sense, yes, there is a, there, there is a certain overlap. Um, mm -hmm. Sure. Tina? Um, I think the definitions and the terminology, um, I'm a bit hesitant to because, I mean, particularly in the Palestinian context, protest, uh, resistance, um, I think are very much, our, you know, our existence here is, is that in terms of, you know, just everything we do in our, in our, in our daily lives. Um, so, um, you know, I could take it in a um, in a different direction where where an artist once said that well, I mean, I'm living this experience of of, of resisting in a daily basis by actually being here and living in, in in Jerusalem. So, do I necessarily have to explicitly um, articulate that in my in my work? Um, was a comment by an artist. So um, it, I, I think, um, you know, that um, it, it's complicated in this particular context, um, this terminology. Um, uh, sure. Thank you, Tina. Uh, we've got another question from Aisha Tuley, who thanks all the presenters for, the, uh, for, for their presentations. And then she asks if I'm, I'm going to try and uh, so she says, representations of women is important for feminist art. Other perspectives might be added as well, such as how women artists or feminist art looks at masculinity or how they represent man, or furthermore, how male artists represent themselves in terms of constructed gender. May these perspectives be considered feminist art? Uh, and to, to what extent in your, let me add, perhaps fleshing out in the specific context that you have specialization, do these kinds of feminist art feature, if we can consider them feminist art? Uh, Jaren. Yes, they of course come into the uh, scope of um, 
feminist art, as we call it. And yes, there are works obviously from uh, Turkey as well, uh, who consider um, the diverse gender constructions or masculinities, femininities, or these binary oppositions, and in some cases challenging them uh, or looking at uh, different uh, perspectives on them. And I can't think of any artists uh, uh, off the top of my head at the moment, but I'll think about it and I'll uh, put it in the chat in a minute. Charlotte, your thoughts, sorry about that. Okay, um, I have to leave very soon, very short. Um, I think it's a very good uh, and very interesting question to consider. Um, and actually there are some, some artists that I could think of um, uh, who have combined a discussion of, of uh, women's issues with uh, uh, patterns of, of men's behavior. Um, and criticize uh, stereotypical male behavior uh, as it uh, affects women. So in that sense, it can be part of, of, uh, the, of feminist work. Okay, thank you. Tina? Um, yes, we definitely um, have, uh, you know, examples of this. Uh, I mean, from my years at the International Academy of Art, we had um, quite a number of students who were uh, deconstructing uh, uh, gender uh, constructions and repre representations, in particular male uh, representations, and um, you know, and students um, uh, interrogating uh, these uh, dominant uh, representations. Um, definitely, um, there's uh, there's been a development in, of work of this kind. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as as folks may have heard, one of our panels has to leave, so we have about four minutes left. Uh, we don't have too many questions actually in the question and answer section, but one I would like to touch on, although I'm not sure it's articulated as such. Aziza Ujwir uh, asks about uh, or raises the question of Islamic feminism, uh, shall we say, and. Uh, I think given the nature of the subject today, can our panelists speak a little bit to the uh, Islamic dimension and uh, perhaps to what extent is there an Islamic feminist art tradition uh, and uh, uh, anything else about how that may or may not structure the production of feminist art. Uh, perhaps I'll kick the ball to, to Jeren then to, uh, if you can, uh, uh, thanks for the question. I think um, I would like to caution against, first of all, uh, about um, having another category within the category of feminist art and um, distinguishing them like Islamic uh, feminist art, secular feminist art. It's, it's not only because it's very difficult to do that, but also it may not be really um, sensible thing to do. And um, and we always uh, risk to reduce artworks into into this kind of categories. Uh, having said that, uh, obviously um, there are artists in Turkey or in the Middle East uh, who um, consider the problems issues around uh, veiling, for example, uh, or any other. Um, 
women's issues that relates to 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 is to Islamic understandings, and um, but yeah, I'm having difficulty to 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I would I would agree <laughs> with Serene uh, totally. Um, I think. Um, bringing in more um, categorizations and, and, and dissecting, um, you know, uh, women's practices and, and putting them in more boxes, I think is less helpful um, than trying to understand the complexity of their practices, um, their relation to the um, social, political and historical context in, in, in which they, they work, um, uh, um, their peers, um, the, 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 you know, the visual, um, uh, you know, vocabulary and, 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 um, and imagery that they're in, engaging with in terms of um, uh, their, uh, the art histories uh, of their countries and then also, you know, a wider regional art history and international uh, context, you know, they, they're, they're having to work across all of this uh, visual um, culture. So, um, I think that's a more interesting uh, question to, to look at it. How do they um, intervene? What are they uh, trying to, to articulate? And the complexities of identities and the matrixes of identities and their layering, uh, I think is much more appropriate than rather trying to categorize them. Fascinating. Well, thank you. Thank you both. And thank you for all the panelists who for their participation today. Clearly the subject is very large, very intricate, and uh, I feel we were barely able to scratch the surface with it, uh, to which I apologize to our audience. With that said, I hope that this uh, webinar has been an opportunity for the audience to be exposed to some of uh, the artists, as well as the scholarship that has been conducted on the subject today, uh, which is ultimately one of the main purposes of what we're trying to do. Uh, through this webinar series. So I would like to thank our panelists today for their uh, participation, their thoughts, their time, as well as their ability to highlight uh, the artists and their work in the region. Um, check out uh, the books and the backgrounds of all our pan panelists. Uh, if there's some information in the chat about their academic production, but otherwise would like to thank you for attending today. As we said, this uh, event will be, has been recorded and will be uh, broadcast uh, on YouTube and Facebook. And I am very happy and thankful for everybody for attending today. So as well as thank you for, for the British Institute of Ankara for being co-hosts with the event today. So thank you everybody and have a good night. <laughs>